0: Thank you, Pastor. I'm glad to be here today. My wife and I are now traveling uh, pretty consistently. Uh, We're here and there and everywhere. I'm no longer a pastor. I'm a pester. (laughs) Wherever I go, I go about pestering God's people. And uh, so evidently there's a market for broken-down, old, skinny-ball preachers to be a pester. So thank you for letting me come. It's it's one of our most... uh, special trips of the year. Who doesn't like driving through the panhandle of Texas? Amen. And uh, what a joy that is. But most often, really, it's, it's about arriving here and being with you, and thank you so much. We have a book table back in the back that's a ministry of the church that I pastored for 33 years. And uh, let me just uh, put some books in front of you. The last uh, series that I preached to the church that I pastored are Nine Holy Gifts, Shaping, Strengthening, and Sustaining Your Daily Walk with God. And uh, that's a great book to help you learn how to have a devotional life as well as have a daily life with God also. After uh, after I stepped down from being a pastor, the first uh, year and a half of uh, being out, and really I wasn't out preaching as much, Took sort of a six-month sabbatical from traveling and, and took some time off. And during that time, I wrote the book, Still a Baptist, Neither Angry Nor Ashamed of It. And uh, I had it, it's a book that I researched and wrote. All the other books I have preached and then rewritten into a book form. This one I wrote simply for the joy and the challenge of knowing who we are as Baptists. Little did I know that God would take this book and throw me into a huge ministry of preaching on Sunday to churches and even Sunday through Wednesday on Still a Baptist seminars. And uh, for the last, a uh, little less than two years now, I've done about 20 seminars already and already have a good, good schedule next year already planned as well. So if you really want to know who you are, this is a great book for that. This is my latest book entitled, Does God Care? Three Stewardship Truths God wants You to Know and Live By. And uh, it's, it's a real simple outline. God cares about you personally. Amen? Amen. He really does. It's, he doesn't have this large global view. He has a very individual view of people. He, he knows who you are, and He cares about you personally. And then, secondly, God cares for you presently, every day of our life. God is engineering provision for you. He's taking care of you. And then finally, the third truth is, God cares through you potentially. That is, God wants to build up your financial life so that you can take care of your family, take care of your church, uh, send the gospel out through faith promise missions, take care of the poor. God wants your financial life to be so abundant that you're able to partner with Him in doing His will. Isn't that a great truth? You might want to get that. And by the way, I was going to finish the book with those three thoughts, but I couldn't until finally I wrote the, the appendix to the last uh, the last uh, third uh, truth there. And the, the appendix is titled this. If all of this is so, why am I still in a gigantic financial mess? And I, I give you a little clue on how to straighten up your financial life And uh, that's worth the $10 right there. And I hope you'll uh, take advantage of that. Again, thank you for letting me be here. Why don't you open a Bible today to 2 Corinthians 4 and mark that place. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 today. That'll be where we're going to be studying God's Word today. (coughs) Have God's Word open? It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. How about an amen about that? God's light has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All of human human population is really categorized in only two, two headings. People either are saved or they're lost. And what I want to do today in this Bible study is I want to help anyone in the building today to see what category they are in personally if they are lost and then to help us, those of us who are saved, to be able to engage the lost community understanding their lostness. You see, all, all lost people are lost, but all lost people are not alike. And if we can understand what their lostness is, it may help us to, to access their lives in their way so that we can get right to it and understand their need and how we can meet that need. Am, are you up with me today? Amen. Amen. So let's first of all identify that first of all there are lost people who do not know it. Isn't that amazing? There are lost people who don't know it. It says in verse number 3, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. There was a 2016 National Geographic Channel uh, that went to 22 countries to ask people the one big question, what happens after we die? I want you to look at the responses that come uh, to that question. He said, uh, they, they ask, when we die, I don't know. We lose consciousness. We become ancestors. I like to think something exists, but no, no. Nothing. We fall asleep, I guess. Millions have come and gone. It's a, it's a cycle. I don't think there will be anything left of me as an individual. I'll be dirt. We die as a physical body, but, well, continuous energy. We get recycled. These are, these are responses of People who are engaging the survey. We join a common energy stream. Woo! The soul goes soaring into somewhere in space. Our bodies will be gone while our souls may become wandering spirits. Nobody knows. Also, I don't know. I don't know. You know, a lot of people you and I know don't know that they're lost. They're going about life like you and I are going about life and have no idea that they are separated from God and facing a godless eternity. You know those people? They're the people like we know who have a deadly cancer in their life that's undiagnosed. They, uh, they look healthy. They uh, act healthy. They uh, live what they presume is a good life, undiagnosed that they have a deadly cancer that will take their life. Now, lost people aren't lost. They don't get to be lost. They are lost. They don't do something to be lost, they are already lost. If our gospel be hid, and aren't you glad you know the gospel? See, that's what the that's what these lost people need. They are they're unaware of their condition and the cure to their condition, which is the gospel. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. Now their problem, what we're trying to fill as Christian witnesses, is we're trying to fill what their need is, which is their problem is ignorance and their need is knowledge. They need the knowledge of God. Paul said, everyone does not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. See, if we have the gospel, (laughs) then we need to begin to share the gospel to people who don't know they are lost. Now, there are a couple of things that I listed and the reason why... uh, why the gospel is hid to this group. Many of our friends that we know, and I know some of these people, the gospel is hid to them because of, of religious ritualism. They're involved in a religion, even maybe a Christian religion, but it is hidden to them. The gospel is hidden because of all the ritualism involved, In their idea of religion. Are you with me? I mean, when they come across us, we're just another religious option. Because they're, and the word hid here means veiled. They they don't see what we see. And I think church ritualism, I'm I am a Baptist, obviously, I wrote a book on it. That's a a shameless hint to go buy the book. I am a Baptist, and I don't really knock our our Baptist churches and our Baptist brethren, but sometimes we elevate our ritualism to a fault. We make uh, minor things the major things, when only the major thing for a lost person is the gospel. And whatever your rules are and whatever is distasteful to you isn't as big as the need for a lost person to hear the gospel. And it's also hidden by what I call false intellectualism. It's sort of like, ah, thank you. I've checked it out. I know better. I don't need what you have. You know, Romans 1 talks about those when they had the knowledge of God. They did not receive it. And thus they became fools because of that. And there are a lot of people who believe that they're intellectual, but they are afraid to to check out the gospel. They're uh, a little disarmed, a little bit uh, nervous about the thought that they may not have achieved the greatest knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest knowledge is the knowledge of God. And no matter how smart your lost people are, and no matter how deeply religious your people are, lost people who who don't know it need what you have. They need what you have. Now you may be wondering, well, man, I don't know near enough. You know more than they do. You can stumble through a gospel presentation, and really within... Just a few minutes, you can memorize a very simple approach to the gospel, the goodness of God to create us and our lost condition and Christ's provision for that. And the only way to get to God is by grace through faith. And would you receive the Lord? And before you know it, you've kind of got the gospel movement headed in the right direction. Don't be afraid to go into those people who are unaware of it. Because your knowledge of God is greater than theirs, because they're in ignorance. Now there's a second group that's mentioned, and it's uh, mentioned actually in verse number four. And these are the lost people who, because they've hardened themselves against the gospel, are are just shut off to the gospel. They just have built a barrier up. They've heard the gospel. You've told them the gospel. You've had a heart for them. You want them saved. But because they have not believed, they've become hardened to it. Let me show you what it says here in verse number 4. It says in verse 3 that our gospel is hid head to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded not the eyes, but the minds of them which believe not. Now you need to see what it says there. It says these people have made a decision not to believe. That's what that says there. A.T. Robertson says that that phrase, believe not, means a willful disbelief. I think that's why when we present the gospel, we don't do that as just some kind of informational pass. That is, uh, here's some information, this will help you. I think we need to call people to believe. Amen. We need to not only give them information where they have something to believe, but we need to encourage them to believe. And A.T. Robertson says, These people who believe not have uh, now heard the gospel, but now they say no to the gospel. Romans 1.32 says, These are the people... Who know the knowledge of God and who are worthy of death, but still going on their way. Lost. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible says it's appointed in a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. See, there, there are two responses that happen to the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here they are. Hearing the gospel results in turning to Christ and trusting Him, or turning from Christ and rejecting Him. There's kind of not some neutral ground there, is there? Now, the gospel is hid to those that are lost who don't know that information. By the way, I forgot to tell you the person who doesn't know the gospel will go to the same eternity as those who know the gospel and reject the gospel. So ignorance is not something we can say, well, they just don't know and it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. So the the gospel that uh, melts wax will also harden clay. And the response of people to the gospel is not some kind of passive, oh well, maybe one of these days we'll see, maybe. This is a life and death. This is a heaven or hell matter. And maybe what we need to do is realize that when we share the gospel with people, they hear the gospel, they respond negatively toward that, then sometimes we just have to let that happen. I know that doesn't sound right, but it's Bible. You cannot make somebody believe something that they've chosen not to believe. And here's what happens among fundamental ranks, and that is we're so keen on seeing people trust Christ, we would rather take a false profession from somebody than to just let God work in that person's life. And that happens also with parents who have children. They can pick fruit before it's ripe. Uh We need to be careful while we're nurturing these young souls that they understand the gospel. I have several occasions I would call names here, but it would be inappropriate of people that I have begged, would you allow me to share the gospel with you? And they say no. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I keep praying for them. I keep anticipating an opportunity. I've gone to bedsides of people hoping I will have that final opportunity. (laughs) But they have chosen not to believe. The good thing is, ladies and gentlemen, the good thing is that we're not on the wrong end of that deal. That is, that we're not on the deal, we're not on on the wrong end to say, I wish I'd have shared the gospel with people. As long as we're sharing the gospel with people, we need to leave the results to God. And so there are lost people who don't know it, there are lost people who know it and have hardened themselves against the gospel, and then thankfully, there are lost people who are open to the gospel. This is not a negative message. This is so positive. It will help you to realize that somewhere out there, there's somebody waiting for you to give them the gospel. I like when Paul was at Corinth, this place where he's writing here. He seemed there's a little lapse there in the Acts 18 passage where it seems like Paul was uh, coming against opposition, and he may have been a little discouraged, and, and he gets this vision... Now, I don't get visions. When I get those, I take a Tums. But he got a legitimate vision. And uh, he, God said to him, be of good cheer. I have much people in this city. <laughs> now, I don't know what you believe about what you believe, but I believe this. I believe God knows the people who are open to the gospel in this town. And sometimes he connects us with those people. We have the gospel. They have an open heart. And he puts us together. And we get the joy of leading someone to the Lord. That's what the, this, this kind of comes to me out of this uh, verse where it says in verse 5, After laying out the lostness of people, he said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. See, there are people who will be saved if you will share the gospel. Now I'm not saying there's a quota. I'm not saying that you and I should uh, sort of uh, expect to have some kind of uh, long list that we are keeping. But I'm telling you this, it's a great joy to share the gospel and see somebody saved. But you'll never see somebody saved if you don't share the gospel. It's sort of like, yeah, wow, hmm. There are people who are open to the gospel. I don't know who that is in your life, but but I felt when I... God, these are brand new sermons. Aren't you glad old preachers can think of new thoughts? I mean, I'm pretty pope-tumped about it. When the pastor called me and said, hey, uh, you need to come. I said, why? He said, well, you just need to come there. We need to be good old people. And... um, it was something like that. I can't remember, but close. it was close anyway. And and he's getting closer to being old people too, you know that. But I thought, well, what will I preach? And, you know, there are three times. And, and I don't know, God just sort of can direct me to this passage and then the passage that follows it and the passage that follows it. And I said, I think I'll just do that. God seems to be in this. But I thought so how much this would have helped me early on as a Christian witness to realize that there are some people just don't know they're lost. And they're not negative. They're not belligerent. They're just uh, floating along, you know, just doing their life. And you have a good news to share. You have the gospel. There are other people you bump into and it's like, really? Whoa, whoa. They just rip your life apart. You've got a concern for them, you want to see them saved, and they want no part of it. That sometimes discourages us to the point that we don't want to share the gospel with anybody. Amen to that. But the good news is, there are some who will hear you and will be saved. In my travels now, One of the most joyous things that happens, and this is, this only happens a few times, but a few times is enough for me. I was at a church in Arkansas, and a young lady, no, she wasn't young, she was about the age of my daughter, (laughs) about 50, 48. And she had a, a little girl in tow, and she said, Brother Locke, I want you to meet my daughter. And she said to her daughter, Uh, This is the man who was preaching when I was saved. Ah, It's like, whoa. I not only felt old in that moment, but I felt very happy. That God had somehow used me. A simple message of the gospel that that lady had had a life change. And here, that, that was an account 30 years ago. And isn't God good to use us? Y'all not feel like, oh my, I've got to go out and tell somebody about Christ. Ooh, how boring. Might change somebody's eternity today. There are people who are open to the gospel. Now I am aware as I drive, as we drive through the country and drive through the world... Especially from here to Texas, there are a lot of churches. You would think everybody has heard the gospel. But that's not true. Everybody has heard something, but they may not have heard the gospel. I don't mean we've got a corner on it. I mean, the fact is that somehow people have avoided the real truth of the Bible, which is God came to save us through Christ. He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. And we'll save you if you'll turn to Him in faith. I'm, I'm glad that there are good gospel preaching churches like this. I'm glad you're having a friend day in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks? A couple of weeks. It's great. Great opportunity for you to bring your friends to a gospel event. And then go out and buy them a good lunch following. That'd be great. Here's here's where I want to end today. And this again will help us. Number four. Some are lost, but think they're saved. Now this is not in the passage but it's in many other passages of the Bible and I couldn't tell you or teach you this lesson without the realization that there are people that we engage with with the gospel that say hey thank you for that I'm I'm, I'm okay now the word saved may not be in their vocabulary but they're okay right and okay to them is whatever is okay to them And I've listed some of the things that they think they're saved. Lost people who think they're saved, uh, they believe in God. And God is this empty canvas that anybody can fill anything in. It doesn't have to be specific. It doesn't have to be biblical. It can just be a God image in their life. And just because they believe in God, they think they're okay. Now, believing in God keeps you from being an atheist, but it doesn't get you to heaven. There are people who say, well, uh, I like Jesus. I, I've heard about him. I, I think he's cool. And there are a lot of people who, who want to cover their bases so they'll add a little Jesus to their life. Amen? There's so much influence of Eastern religions now that uh, uh, Jesus isn't a bad option to add. Really, that, that's the kind of common thought in our culture right now. You need to cover all bases. My pastor and I got put in a very awkward situation uh, about a month ago. One of our church members and a church attendee, and one of our church members' brother, who is an attendee of our church, died. And we were reluctantly added to the program. He and I both were. And then when we uh, saw the uh, eulogy that was written by this man's daughter, she was a full-blown yogist. And they were going to make sure, she was going to make sure that she did everything to to connect the spirit of her father to the next world. It became a very difficult decision for my pastor and myself, but jointly we both believed that once her bell was rung, you couldn't unring it. And that we were going to either be hurt in one way or we're going to be hurt in another way, And we chose to withdraw from that funeral service. It was very difficult for us. But for her, Jesus was just another expression of another God who might help her Father's spirit join the universe. Now, I don't know whether you think I did right, but I don't answer to you. I answered to 50 plus years of ministry in my life to be joined to that kind of spirit, which to me is demonism. Everybody goes to heaven, right? Have you ever heard of anybody dying that didn't go to heaven? <laughs> Every scoundrel in, in liberals, their obituary says, well, we're glad that he's in a better place. Well, maybe he's not. Uh, I've been a Christian all of my life. Now, some people have been religious all of their life, but they haven't been a Christian all their life. You're born again, become a Christian. They're morally good, not as bad as others. They're sincere. You've met some sincere person that says, "Man, I tell you, I'm I'm sincere." One afternoon, I had a little uh, a little uh, desire for a, a A special cookie I like. You know the ones in the blue tins, the the Danish cookies? You like those too? My address is... (laughs) Mail them to Texas. So I went into the dollar store, and there they were. And I grabbed a tin of them, took them to my office, got my Dr. Pepper out, and was waiting for a celebratory celebratory moment. And I put the cookie in my mouth and immediately I realized this is not my experience. I looked on the can and they were made in China. No, they did not taste like fortune cookies. I was sincere. I bought what I thought was Danish cookies, but they, were, they came from China. China. What a disappointment many people's eternity will be when they have sincerely believed something but were sincerely wrong. There are people who walk forward at the end of a church service. Now we're all about invitations, amen? amen. We're all about calling people to faith. But somewhere between there and here, sometimes things get a little messed up. A little boy responded to an invitation in a previous church that I pastored. And, uh, you know, I'm very interested in him. I leaned down to him. I said, young man, why are you coming? He said, where are the bathrooms? <laughs> that way, young man, right there. Now, some people, that's the only memory they have. They have that walking down the aisle memory. That's not enough, folks. We, we need something more than just a memory memory of physically doing something. And then the next uh, list tells us that sometimes they even pray a prayer. Now, people get saved praying a prayer, but they don't get saved by praying a prayer. There's not a prayer in the Bible. You know that? There's not a prayer in the Bible. There's not a kind of a do this and you will be. And so uh, salvation is more than a prayer parade. It's more than a sincere response. It's more than walking down the aisle. It's more than being baptized. Thank God for being baptized. I was baptized within 15 minutes of being saved. I was saved one, one Sunday night on January the first, nineteen 1956 at the age of 10. And um, one of my buddies was being baptized that night. And Daddy said to me, run, run to the house. We live right behind the church in the church parsonage." get you a change of clothes and come back within 15 minutes of being saved, I was a Baptist. Amen. Amen. I was a a bubbly, bubbly, fully immersed Baptist. I didn't know what that meant at that time, but I've since found out it was good. But people aren't saved by being baptized. There are people who've been sprinkled by their parents who did not have (laughs) even a conscious knowledge of that, and yet, they are going to heaven based upon the sprinkling ceremony that they didn't know about. Our old Baptist brethren call that a water ceremony, then call it a baptism. People do good works. There are a lot of good works by good people who aren't saved. You have a tragedy in this uh, city right here, and there'll be people who will come to the response of that. They're good-natured people, but they're lost. There are people also who go to church regularly. Amazing that people who sit in our buildings can actually be lost people. But what was it with our Savior's first church? Of the twelve apostles, there was a Judas, right? I'm not trying to cause doubt. I'm just trying to clear some ground here today to say... If you're, uh, if you're going to heaven, in your mind, based on the fact that you go to church, you need to check that out. Just, I mean, I go to the donut shop. That did not make me a donut. I love donuts. I'm into whole food. They assume they live by the Ten Commandments. Do you ever have that? I had that on a Southwest Airline plane uh, one time, and uh, they had those jump seats way back there where you actually had the jump seats facing the whole group that's facing this way. That's where I'd always sit for my life as the preacher. I'd always sit facing the crowd. So I faced knee-to-knee to to a guy, and I asked him, I said, has there been a time in your life when you have know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Now, I find that's a pretty engaging question to ask on an Airline. Just suppose you were to die and stand before God, and He was asking you why He should let you into His heaven. What would you tell Him? This guy across from me, knee to knee, he said, "Well, I, I, I live, I've lived by the Ten Commandments." I said, "Fantastic. Tell me what they are." He said, "You know what they are." I said, "I'm not going to heaven on the Ten Commandments. You are." I think he came up with three. People who say that don't really know what that means. And then they have their own religion. Just whatever it is. It may be Ronald McDonald Day or something. You know what I'm saying? Their religion may be nothing more than something that they have put in their life that they've had somebody else tell them. Now the problem with these people is they're deceived. It's really hard to break the barrier of deception. But I believe the gospel is. I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, there are people who are lost. They think they're saved. They can really be saved. I'm sure if I were to take a poll, and I'm I'm not going to do that, I don't want you to feel embarrassed. But there are people in most churches who made a profession at one time in their life and realized they weren't saved. There's nothing about that that is shameful unless you're holding on to that and think you're going to heaven based on a false profession. And I can't tell you that. I I have another book out there. I don't have a copy of it here. It's entitled No Doubt About It for Those Who Struggle with Assurance of Salvation. And really, one of the One of the chapters in that book is kind of this lesson here. You don't have to put up with the shenanigans if you read the chapter, though. Folks, we have a great opportunity to share the gospel with people. And probably, I don't think, according to the Bible, that you can share the gospel in a wrong way with anybody. I don't think it's ever inappropriate. Now, the timing may be inappropriate, and you may need to work on your skills about doing that. But it's not your skills that's going to get folks saved. It's the gospel through the ministry of the Spirit of God. And, uh, you know, when Paul went to the city of Philippi, found some ladies by the river. They were just praying. They didn't know what else to do. They were just praying. Paul shared the gospel, and what did God do? God opened her heart. That's kind of what we need to pray for. We need to pray that God will open the hearts of people and uh, do that work in their life. I want you to keep your place in this passage because uh, I'll be teaching the next half of this from uh, verse number 7 on to the end of the chapter uh, in the second uh, session today. And uh, this is such a joy. I'm, I'm telling you, if I had a favorite church, it would be wrong for me to say that, but I kind of whispered around, this is one of them. And this is a favorite family. And you're favorite people to me, too. And uh, I know what goes on in a lot of your lives. I, I, I'm on Facebook, you know. You can't think of some old person like me being on Facebook. I've got so many friends. I mean, I've got 2,400 friends. I have to wonder, Who is that? <laughs> But wherever I go, somebody will want to friend me, you know, and, and uh, they'll, they'll put their picture of their cat on there. And it's like, really? Yeah, really? And then the pastor will put his picture of his dog on there. Whatever. But I do, I, do, I do love keeping up with you, and I do keep up with you and pray for you, pray for your pastors, and uh, thank God for the transition that's going on. Let me give you just a little bit of, uh, two minutes, two minutes, promise you, of the transition that I went through with a young man in our church who was 30 at the time, about 28 when the process started. He's now my pastor. He's 35. Uh, Three years ago, I stepped down, but for 30 months, Brother Zach Hatton and I co-pastored together. Now, I was the senior co-pastor. Everybody knew that, because I knew... Where, where all the doors and the keys and, and uh, everything was. But we shared pulpit time, and, and then a lot of times God opened the door for me. That's happening to your pastor right now. This, this is not a made-up deal that he's kind of, he's got an agent out there saying, get me in here or there. It, God in heaven's putting him where he needs to be. And he's going about preaching, and this is something God's going to use in his life in his future. But I did that, and God opened up doors for me to be gone so that the next pastor would feel the joy and pressure of uh, being a pastor. And that's happening right now. And it's so neat to see that replicated. And it's not something I came up with. It's a Bible plan. Moses had Joshua. Joshua took over when Moses died. Thank you. Yeah, really. Yeah. I keep moving, I'm a moving target, you know, like, you ain't getting me. (laughs) Elijah had Elisha, and he didn't die. Amen, all right, we got that, all right. Jesus had the disciples, Barnabas had Saul, Paul had Timothy. This is a Bible plan. You guys are doing it the right way. God's going to honor that. And, and brother, brother Bill isn't near where I was at seventy-one when I stood down, but our church needed a future, and the future was a young preacher. I'm still pretty good at what I do. Yeah, that's right. I can still do this thing. But our church needed a young that needed young leadership, and God is blessing that at our church with young families. Who are being attracted to a young pastor, who has children that are nine and six, and I'm excited for him, and I'm excited for him to be my pastor. One final thing: I was at a conference in Tennessee, among those shouting, "All running preachers." It's fun to go there. I can't stand the pressure of it. After there two or three days, I'm so tired watching. But one of the guys had just done a transition. And he said this, God broke my heart. He said, my wife will now have a pastor. And that simply meant that if something happened to him, that the pastor's wife would be taken care of. God broke my heart about that. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not checking out anytime soon, so don't take my pulse today or anything. I'm okay. But I know this, we've got leadership in our church that's going to take care of families like my wife and myself. And that's going to happen because this transition took place. I want to confirm that today as being God's plan. And uh, glad you're staying with it. We've had young couples. Our pastor led a couple, a man and his wife to the Lord, this week that will be coming this, this Sunday. We baptized five last week in our little bitty church. God's so good. Amen. I'm glad y'all be back around. We're having church here in about five minutes. Yes.